my former accountant <laughs> said, how the bloody hell are you making so much money from renting houses out? I've got 50 other buy-to-let investors and nobody's doing what you're doing. And he said uh, a magic word that changed my life. brilliant podcast i'm here today with steve bolton now steve bolton has had a very um interesting career he's a serial entrepreneur he's also a social impact investor he's a mentor and he's the founder and managing partner of bolt angels nice to see you steve how are you doing yeah really good jeanette thanks for having me oh you're welcome i've been looking forward to this all day Absolutely. No, it's fantastic. And you're actually in London at the moment, but you could be in numerous other places in the world, Bournemouth, Ibiza, and wherever else like life takes you, right? Yeah, I spend my time about a third in each of those locations. So it's uh, one of the benefits, I think, or there weren't many benefits from COVID, but one of the benefits is the world got used to remote working a lot more. So uh, yes, it's, it's given me a lot more freedom and flexibility, which has been fantastic. Excellent. We're going to talk about that and how you've created this wonderful life by design through uh, through kind of your uh, your time on this planet so far. So, Steve, I know a little bit about you, and we were introduced um, by Chris Wilkins, who's a, a common a common friend, shall we say, uh, which is great. And, and Chris has also been a guest on Brave Bob Brilliant, so um, he's been talking everything to do with tax. But we're going to be talking more about business and investing, I think, today, given your background. But Steve, I know a little bit about about what you're up to, but can you just give us a quick canter through kind of where I started for you, how you've ended up where you are today? That'd be amazing. Sure. Uh, one of my favourite interview questions, actually, is from birth to now, tell me your story. And uh, so so I'll answer that question for you. Um, but yeah, born, born and raised in Bournemouth. Dad was a professional footballer. Mum was a still is a crazy French hairdresser um, and moved to South Africa when I was two because my dad played football over there. So lived three years as a youngster in South Africa, moved back to Bournemouth, uh, left school. 16 with no qualifications. I wasn't stupid, but just couldn't see the relevance of, uh, as most and many people, couldn't see the relevance of most of what I was learning. Um, did a couple of dead-end jobs, worked in a super supermarket at night, stacking shelves, greasy spoon cafe on Bournemouth Beach, washing dishes. Um, and then I, I was very lucky at the age of 17, I got a summer job as an outdoor pursuits instructor, an apprentice, loved it discovered my lifelong passion and mission for coaching, mentoring, consulting, helping, bringing out the best in other people, basically. Um, so I did that, rose through the ranks very quickly. At the age of 20, I was running a centre with 20 staff under me. Um, and then I had what Michael Gerber calls a an entrepreneurial seizure in my mid-20s, <laughs> where I was an employee, an employee fed up of working for a boss, thinking I can do this better. Why don't I do it myself? So like a lot of people, I kept the day job, started a side hustle, which was building outdoor pursuit centers, ropes courses. If you've ever been to center parks and seen the climbing walls, the desk slides, it was my company that started that with a business partner. So we did that in 1994 through to 2001. Great business, um, you know, very successful. We had two of our own outdoor pursuit centers as well. And then, as with most entrepreneurial success stories, there's the rise and the fall. And my fall was quite a painful one uh, in that September the 11th and foot and mouth disease had a devastating effect. We had the construction business. We couldn't go onto land and build anything. So that went into voluntary liquidation. Uh, and then the consulting management training business that we had was hit by September the 11th and all the big companies cutting their budgets. So net effect is sort of first quarter of 2002, I'm sitting, sold my house to avoid bankruptcy um, in a rented bungalow with a newborn baby in my arms and a red bucket in the middle of the lounge catching water from the leaky roof, thinking, good job, Mr. Bolton, provider of the family, entrepreneur, here you are in a, you know, a rented place. So I then got into, I guess, introspection, reading books, going on courses, getting mentors, thinking there's got to be people that have been there and done it that I can learn from. You know, I know you do a lot of uh, mentoring and consulting, Jeanette, and advisory mm -hmm. kind of work, and same kind of thing, right? I sort of immerse myself in that world. Best thing I ever did. It can be an absolute game changer for people where, where they get the benefit of that knowledge and wisdom and experience from other people. 
So decided to pivot completely, started buying property, spent two years researching it, created a model to rent houses out to generate about 300% more rental income than the average buy-to-let investor. Uh, it's before I had Chris Wilkins as an accountant. My former accountant <laughs> said, how the bloody hell are you making so much money from renting houses out? I've got 50 other buy-to-let investors and nobody's doing what you're doing. And he said uh, a magic word that changed my life. Do you think you could franchise your business? And I didn't know that much about franchising, but you know, we talked it through. I went to a franchise exhibition, did a beauty parade of consultants. And yeah, it's a replicable model. It's profitable. It could scale around the country. And I'd already been teaching friends and family. So long story short, franchise the business in 2007 under the name Platinum Property Partners. Um, and then scaled that over the next decade to more than 400 franchisees, more than 400 million of property purchased using that same model that I used to buy my first house back in 2004. And today, over 8,000 tenants live in a PPP house. So that was quite a journey. Alongside that, I've been in angel investing. I've had digital marketing business launched over 100 e-commerce brands through another franchise that I set up um, and now really spend for the last sort of seven years or so. I've exited all, all of those other property businesses, came out of PPP, stepped down in 2017, exited in 2020, um, and now do what people say is the business I was born to lead, which is angel investing, because I love, we get amazing networks. So I get a load of deal flow coming in, people that want funding, we know how to raise money, invest our own money, due, 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 due diligence, um, and then get to back inspirational founders that have a mission to change the world. And we can bring 30 years worth of commercial experience to help those businesses be successful. So in a nutshell, that's um, from birth to today. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I love it. Anyone would think you've done this before. <laughs> no, a few I mean times. Yeah, no, it's a fa I mean, it's a fascinating journey you've been on, and and you know the highs and lows. I and mean, we started started the conversation about how you you triple locate or trilocate, shall we say, between Bournemouth, Ibiza, and London. And everyone goes, "Oh, that sounds wonderful, that doesn't it? Or what? Oh, it's all right for Steve with all his fancy life and all this." But actually, it, you know, you've had the highs, you've had the lows, you know, you've had everything in between, haven't you? Through that that course, and I think so often we just look at either what we see externally as a big success story or as a failure when a business goes under and we don't understand what's actually gone on um, along the way and I think you know sharing your journey is really important because it shows that you can you know make it or lose it or make it all again um, in numerous different shapes and forms really but let, let me just go back to, to kind of early life for you Steve obviously you moved around a bit with your parents and your dad being that professional footballer and yet you said you know your mum a French hairdresser you said right yeah, fantastic. Yeah. I could I could do with my roots doing actually. In fact, I'm booked in tomorrow. Um, but uh, but but where where do you think that entrepreneurial aspect came in yourself then? Because you said you know you left school wasn't the right environment for you to flourish, and look what you've managed to achieve. You know, without having that kind of traditional formal education, shall we say? Where did the entrepreneurial side of of you come come from? Do you think? Definitely my parents. I think, you know, as the old saying, you become the average of the people you spend most time with. And as a kid, what is that really? It's your parents, your family and your friends. Mm -hmm. And so that network, um, at the age of 11, my dad came out of pro footballing, um, moved into doing kind of carpentry building, you know, very skilled with his hands. Um, and then they had some friends that have invested in property. So at the age of 11, they made a quite a radical decision really. And my mum negotiated the deal, but in 1978, they bought a block of 16 flats with sitting tenants and we moved into that. And it was, you know, before the housing act 1985, it was the wild West tenants had, you know, permanent right to reside. You couldn't put the rents up. You know, if somebody was there, you couldn't get them out. They had to choose voluntarily to move. So we moved into this horrific kind of building I helped my dad with my mum and my sister do up each flat. Um, so as a tenant moved out, we would do it up. And then we turned, they turned them into holiday flats. So I spent my, you know, 13, 14, 15 working in the family business, which ironically was an HMO, which yeah. I obviously went back quite, in quite a big way. But I grew up in an HMO from the age of 11. 
um and servicing holiday flats are almost like you know and now they're airbnbs and there's some single occupancy they've still got that today my sister runs it so i was really immersed in that world of two parents moving out of a four bed semi in a you know suburban area of bournemouth into this massive block of you know five story block of flats um running in the family business and i think that had a big impact on me um, and then one other time we were members of a like a little gym and a health club. I remember sitting in a sauna and there were three older guys. I was about 15. They're saying, you know, property, property. I've been talking to my kids. It's all about you should get into property, get into investing, be your own boss. And that really was the the essence of the starting point for me. The one other thing to say, you know, my dad gave me a little book when I was eight to follow stocks and shares. He said, pick 10 in the back of the paper and every day the paper would come through and he'd like, did it go up? Did it go down? So I got used to tracking and it was interesting to me to see, okay, you can put money into something and it might go up, it might go down. And then he used to take me horse racing, but he would record every bet. He would be very scientific about the way that he looked at, oh, that train has come over from there. He's not normally here. That guy from Saudi Arabia that owns it has got lots of money. He never normally comes and watch this horse race. So he just taught me a way of decoding and systemizing investing to look for patterns. And that definitely has had a massive influence in the way I look at business. I've got a very analytical, systemized way of thinking, right, how do we solve this problem so you can repeat it many, many times and avoid a lot of risk? So that came from my dad very much. Yeah, wow. I mean, listen, I mean, that's quite an unusual setup, actually. I think, you know, for, for a lot of people growing up, I mean, obviously everyone's background's different, but, you know, I grew up in a very working class family and attitude to, to sort of money and wealth, you know, much more risk averse, money doesn't grow on trees, you know, much more around get a job for life, have a profession. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's a totally different way of, of thinking. But I think it's quite a rarity to have had a parent probably at that age, at that stage, you know, probably more common now now but to have had that entrepreneurial and that and that money mindset as well around the value of money and and how you can make money and lose money that money mindset um it sounded like you know incredible incredible influence from your dad um yeah definitely and also you know my mum had a hairdressing shop and we used to count the two peas and the one peas and put them in bags and you know he really taught us that side of things and I also remember another the day I left school at 16 he sat me down, you know, got back from school. I was elated. He's like, right, we need to have a chat, son. Um, you're on your own. And I'm like, what do you mean I'm on my own? He's like, no pocket money. There's no no more money. That's the end of it. You've got a roof over your head for a period of time and food, but you're on your own. Good luck. <laughs> and and so <laughs> it was, you know, in, in at the deep end. None of this, um, you know, none of this snowflake kind of, you know, support your kids still there 25 years of age and make it easy. It was like, no, you got to work hard and now you're on your own. And it was great. I went out, I got a job and I became, you know, self-sufficient pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Amazing. I mean, I mean, listen, God, your parents are, are you, are you mum and dad still, still with us, Steve? They are. Yeah. My dad sadly is um, part of a study. He's got dementia, sadly. He's still independent living at home, but he's part of a study that the FA are doing on professional footballers and the link between heading footballs and dementia. And they're wow. kind of, they've actually brought in some changes now for primary age kids. They're not allowed to either head ball or they've got to limit how much they do, but he's still around in Bournemouth. And then my mum, my mum was a big influence as well, right? And kind of, I get my extrovert. My dad's very introvert. My mum, very extrovert. We'd be driving along, you know, she'd be picking me up from somewhere and there'd be three ladies at a bus stop waiting to go. And she'd wind the window down and say, you go into the bingo, ladies. And they'd be like, yeah, jump in. And I'd be like, <laughs> and with these three strangers in the back of the car, they're all nattering to my mum and I am just grew up. So that's where I get my extrovert nature from. <laughs> Oh, I'm so sorry to hear about you, about your dad. And, you know, I mean, like you say, it's, I guess back then in the world of sports, it's similar with rugby, right, as well. You know, people didn't really understand that connection. And then, um, I mean, fantastic that he's part of that that kind of study to, to try and then make those changes for future future generations. But, gosh, it must be very difficult for you as a family to kind of see that Um you know, yeah, totally. And one, one of the one of one of the causes I support is called Elimsha, the elimination of dementia. And it's run by a good friend of mine, Tanya Franks, who's uh she was on EastEnders for many years. She's an actress, she does West End shows regularly. Um, but she saw the 
with her father-in-law. So we've been working with Barbara Windsor's husband, Scott Mitchell. He's kind of, he managed to get David Cameron to double the amount of research funding into Alzheimer's and dementia just before he left office as prime minister. Um, so, yeah, so we're just trying to help educate people on what causes dementia and Alzheimer's and things you can do younger because uh, it starts forming in your mid thirties, but the signs are not there. You could, you know, you can do tests for it, but what you eat, how you exercise, all of that sort of stuff is something I'm quite passionate about. Oh, amazing. Well, we definitely need to put the details of that in, Well, we will we'll put them in the show notes so people can kind of get involved and get supported. A very good friend of ours, actually, he he has a charity called My Life Films, which is for dementia, okay. su- dementia sufferers and their families, because of course, so he was a, a movie producer, he was a director and what have you. So it was always kind of came from that world, did very well in business. And then his way of giving back is his his charity, My Life Films. But what they do, they make amazing films for dementia sufferers right. and their their families that obviously prompt these incredible memories, um, which is obviously very, you know, very kind of healing. So yeah, there's a lot of connections that that we can make here to to do good. But um, yeah, amazing. Thanks for sharing that, Steve. That's uh, it's not easy for you guys, but yeah his legacy will live on won't it with everything that you're doing so that's good to know um so so let's talk about um the 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 failure side of business right because the success is great but we know it's not easy and we know we're not going to get everything right and you described I could almost feel myself in that uh in when you're in that rented house with the rain coming down you've got a newborn you know baby thinking oh my god I'm living the life here and what the hell went wrong kind of thing but things do go wrong what's what What's your approach to, to kind of bouncing back? And when you deal with you, when you're at that real rock bottom, like, you know, you were, had a difficult situation there, how do you get yourself out of it? What What's helped you and, and what might help other people listening? Maybe their business is struggling at the moment. Maybe they've had to, you know, kind of exit a business, close a business, or maybe they've just lost their job, you know, from a, in a redundancy situation as well. You know, what's your approach? Any sort of tips around dealing with failure and having to kind of restart again, if you like? Yeah, sure. I think I look at it in two ways, Jeanette. Um, The first is essentially resilience builds up over time, right? So it's kind of like going to the gym and the more problems you face, the more the heavier weight you push, the more you go back, the stronger you get, right? And and it's the same, I think, in business. So I sometimes think the amount of crap I have to deal with, like day to day, week to week, the more businesses you get, the more experience me of 10 years ago or 20 years ago would have probably had burnout or you know mm-hmm. anxiety or depression or something like that so i think building that muscle and realizing that every time you overcome you get out of your comfort zone into your stretch zone you overcome it what you know the psychology shows is your comfort zone gets bigger you're able to deal with more so i think it's just a a consistent process of you know cheesy lines like do something every day that scares yourself um, you know, that scares you so that you just continue to build that muscle of handling resi- resilience. I think that's just a really important life principle. Um, and then the the other side is, yeah, just some tips, tricks, techniques, if you like. So some of it are just like mental processing. Um, for example, um, you know, there's always somebody worse off than you, right? Is it a matter of life or death? And actually, when you just change the frame to say, you know, Gary V says it, he says, if I wake up in the morning and I look at my phone and there's no message saying, call me urgently. And the 10 people I love the most in my life are all healthy. It's going to be a great bloody day, you know, mm-hmm. and, and I think that's really true. Right. So I just change the frame to say I'm healthy. My family are. Yes. You know, there's diff- issues, but I don't have any life or death emergency. Um, another one is you're always you're only ever one person away from solving any problem, which is again a liberating kind of thing. It's like, okay, I got this map, whatever this issue might be, but there's just one person. If you can find that right person, you know, or have that one idea that gives you that breakthrough, quite often it can have that cascading effect. So you it takes something that might feel overwhelming, whether you've lost a job, your business is in difficulty. You know, I remember when I had to close the business down, I had no idea. I've never done it before, never had to liquidate a company, was on the Internet kind of searching. And I found an administrator, you know, through a, a website. So and, I found, and he was amazing. He's like been there, done it. He was a mentor. He was a guy. Don't worry. It's not your fault. The world's changed. You tried your best. This is nine out of 10 businesses fail within five years. 
you can pick your so he was just immensely helpful that one person helped mm. me get through that situation um so yeah so i think it's that it's mentors coaches making sure you got a network of people changing that frame and then um you know and then thinking about like the, the happiness equation is expectation versus reality right if your expectation is really high but the reality is low you're going to be unhappy if the expectation is medium to low and the reality is better than that then you're going to be happy and you're going to cope with it so most of the time it's just a simple rebalance of say well just lower my expectation and that's the, the simplest way of doing it right whereas i think most of us especially driven people have a higher expectation my business should be doing this revenue or i should make that profit or i should be getting this income or i should have a better job or i should be able to do more holidays or have a red for whatever it is right the expectation just change the bloody expectation um and that that's a really helpful thing as well i learned that from mo godat who's a investor and advisor in one of the businesses that we've invested into Amazing. Oh, I love that actually. I've never I've never really thought of it in that in that context. Because you're right, we're always striving for more. We're never really kind of, you know, satisfied. And once we get there, then we then we the goalposts move again. And you know, and that's that's great to strive. But actually, if you're so out of kilter that then you're feeling yeah. constantly frustrated and not good enough, then that's gonna mess with your head, isn't it? That's gonna affect everything, really. Um yeah, I love I love that yeah, tip. That's fantastic. I think one one more that's really useful is to write down your successes. So I've got a success list. So whenever I'm feeling like, oh, I've got so far to go and the gap between where you are and where you are in strategic coach, Dan Sullivan calls it the gap and the gain. So the gap is quite depressing. I'm here. I need to get there. And that's a big bloody way to go. And the gain is look backwards. And he encourages people to do it every day. Three things that you did well yesterday or last week. So, and I start every meeting and every board meeting, what are the successes? Every weekly team meeting, what are the success? One thing from everybody. And it just changes the frame of, oh, actually something good did happen. Otherwise you can just descend straight into problems, you know? Yeah, that's great. I do a similar thing actually with the businesses that I advise or with the individuals that I work with. You know, I often use something, I've used it with my teams in, in various scenarios, which are called a sort of five question framework. And when you're actually spending time with people, Normally, everyone expects you to say, well, tell me everything that's going wrong, all the, all the, all the rubbish that's happening. I always start yeah. with what's working well. What's working well, yeah. you know, and that could be big things, little things, doesn't matter, but what's working well. And then I'll move on to what would our ideal be? So you're kind of scoping yeah. out the art of the possible. You know, and then what are our options? Um, yeah. what, what are the gaps? To your point, what are the gaps and then what resources do we need to get there? You know, and it's actually yeah. a really clever way of, of totally reframing, always starting with the positive. So I agree with you. It's 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 a refreshing way. And you know, the other thing that I tend to do quite a bit, Steve, and, and this is around personal development and mindset to a certain degree, every single morning I practice gratitude and I always think. Yeah. What three things that I'm really grateful for? So I do all my breath of fire business and all that, which people sometimes think I'm a bit crazy, but I don't care because it works for me. <laughs> I'll do it on my yeah. own. Um, and the, after it. each after each set of breathing, I think, what am I grateful for? You know, and it could be simple. It's really simple things, or it might be, you know, I'm really grateful that I'm about to go on a trip to Singapore and Australia. You know, it could be a big thing like that, or it could just be, you know, what I'm actually grateful that I, I managed to get out of bed this morning because I was feeling a bit sluggish. You know, or I'm grateful I had a good yeah. night's kit, but whatever it might. Be, and it's very hard to be pissed off and grateful at the same time i find <laughs> yeah <laughs> I love that. Um, yeah fantastic so you know with with ambition right um and when you achieve success uh, there's a lot of people will be watching and, and and some people i think you know there's a bit of a cultural thing in the uk where almost other people seem to gain satisfaction when they see someone fall probably because he's got shit going on in their own life and it makes them feel better about it so it's it's not a great it's not a great attribute to have in america it's much more of an approach around oh well done your business has just failed what did you learn you know it's it's a kind of a different psychology behind it but when you've had great success and you've had lots of success through through your through the years steve what what have been the kind of reactions from people around you you know, have you had some some surprises where maybe people that you thought would be really supportive and kind of happy for you have maybe had different responses or equally yeah. sometimes where you might think, oh, someone possibly wouldn't have been as supportive, maybe during a difficult time that actually really stepped up? Because I, I found through my career that actually people don't always respond in the way that you expect them to, whether it's either a success or, or, or you're having a tough time. So 
what what's been your experience of people around you when you've had great success or, or you've had challenges yeah so i think the it's been different as you i think there's sort of essentially two quite different types of people you've got people that really have ambition entrepreneurs you know professional semi-professional athletes top musicians that kind of stuff so people that aspire to live their best life be do have give the most that they can continually improve and grow and research shows that's about one in 20 of the population so so five percent of the population generally fit into that category the other 95 percent of the population don't have that level of ambition aspiration don't always want to climb the next rung up the ladder so i think it's self-awareness is really important to understand which of those two that you are and I think a lot of people, certainly maybe in the last sort of five or 10 years where entrepreneurship has become, I mean, I remember telling people I was an entrepreneur 20 years ago and they're like, oh, so basically you haven't got a job. Nobody will employ you and you haven't got any money. That was what an entrepreneur <laughs> meant 20 years ago, right? Now it's been the last decade become cool and Mark Zuckerberg and Gary Vaynerchuk and all that sort of thing. So, so I think the I think having that self-awareness that entrepreneurship is very hard, long hours, a lot of stress, always going to have problems, et cetera, et cetera. I'm not saying the alternative is better or worse. I'm saying you need to understand who you are as a person, because I've seen people that are more suited from a values and a personality and a skills perspective to working in a company, having a job or having one employee or two employees, a small business, you know, that kind of Robert Kiyosaki employed, self-employed kind of that half of the quadrant as opposed to the business owner investor side of things. So, so I think making that distinction is really important. If you are, you know, not an entrepreneur, then I think actually having a job, saving money, living within your means, buying stuff secondhand, just being as frugal as you can, you know, to actually store wealth, create wealth, not take risks, be really diligent. Um, you know, I'm really proud of my kids from the point of view of they buy clothes secondhand, right? They've been taught the value of money. They don't aspire to have a fast car. They look at people like Andrew Tate and think, you know, that's not the life I want. You know, I don't want beautiful women all over the world. I don't want a Ferrari. I don't want a super yacht. I don't, because there's a burden of ownership, right? And the higher yeah. the target is that expectation reality happiness thing again right if your expectation for material wealth is incredibly high and i can talk about this from somebody who's been through that loop of you know a convertible ra a five thousand square foot house with a jacuzzi and a cabana in the garden and this that and the other to actually not having that not wanting that not i've got a nice car but it's 17 grand it's a classic corvette stingray with a t-top but it's 17 grand car, right? I love it. I drive it around. It doesn't go very far. You know, I don't need 20 cars. I can only drive one car at a time, right? We've got a family car, et cetera. So, so I think that for me is the best advice that people can get for the most part is just kind of living within your means and doing that. If, however, you are an entrepreneur and you do go through the ranks, um, then some people will drop away. You know, the, the reality is I'm not in contact with some people are threatened by success, especially people that have come from your past. Um, I mean, I've, I've got a tool that I use with people, which is actually, this might sound brutal, depending on your philosophy, but I put people into a spreadsheet and I grade them, right? I give them a number, right? So people in my life, I don't do it with my family because actually <laughs> I don't want to lose my mom or my dad or my relationship with my sister or aunties and uncles but actually you know and you grade the way i do it is i grade them from naught is the same level as me plus three is way above me minus three is below me and you can rate them on whatever so i know my standard is wealth health happiness right mm -hmm. so i grade those I grade people and then you can see okay is that person a net positive contributor are they going to raise my temperature up or actually, if they're negative on everything, minus three, minus three, minus two, it's like, okay, that might be fine. I might keep them in my life, but I just appreciate I'm going to be helping them probably much more than they're going to be able to help me. And that's mm -hmm. fine because you go through life reaching a hand up, helping people reach, you know, asking for help and a hand down, you know, helping people up as well. Um, 
because I remember a good friend of mine is Chris Akabusi, and he said, look, if you apply it to sports, Steve, I said, how important is your team? And he's like, it's everything. You know, if you're not good enough to be in the four by 400 world championship relay as team GB is one of my, you've got to be the best. If you're not, you know, you're on the bench, you're subbed. It's like you're cut, you know, so it's brutal in sport. It's not as brutal in business, but if you want to be a high achiever, and it probably does need to be brutal, right? I have deliberately spent less time with people because I want to, I'm always thinking, how can I upgrade and expand my network? You're doing it with your podcast, all the guests that you get talking before, how valuable it is, those relationships, the connection that you make. So Mm. some people are threatened. I think you've just got to accept that if you are, are a high achiever and a high performer, you will lose people. People will be threatened. Don't see it as a bad thing. You know, and I say to people, if you spend 12 days a year with somebody, maybe spend one day a year with them. So you don't have to cut them out completely. But I have lost friends in my life, you know, either consciously or unconsciously because of the path that I'm on. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And and it is a choice, isn't it? Who you spend time with, who, you know, who you have around you. And, and like you say, sometimes it can be hard because they can be people that are very close to you. It could be family, friends that have been around a long time. But you're right. I mean, I always think of it as kind of rubbish in, rubbish out, you know, good good stuff in, good stuff out. And and that's in terms of feeding your mind, your, 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 your health, you know, diet, all of that kind of, you know, stuff. And, and what, what you feed in your brain, who are you, who are you listening to, what means media are you absorbing is it serving you or is it actually you know kind of really holding you back and and it is a conscious choice an old boss of mine actually when I was at two when I was the MD of the emerging markets and my boss was a chap called Richard Prosser and he used to always say to me listen Jeanette there are two types of people in this life it's 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 not quite as as scientific as your your perspective but he, he said you know there are radiators people that kind of exude warmth energy that they make you feel good when you're around them that you can take on the world and there are there are drains there are those people that just suck the oxygen out of the room and you're like oh my god i was feeling quite good until i spoke to you now i want to sleep my rich you know and and he said (laughs) he said that it's it's difficult because especially in corporate life you know so you have to you can't always choose who you spend time with because you know it's it's not quite as free and as it can be when you've got your own businesses but i'll never forget that and he used to say you know, try and surround yourself with the right people and you know those people that are in that more negative mindset you might have to work with them but try you know you're trying to bring them with you but try not let it affect your own mood and, and your positivity because uh it can be dangerous it can really bring you down actually so yeah great advice i love that i'm gonna start i'm gonna start scoring people <laughs> <laughs> I'll send you my spreadsheet if you want. It's pretty cool. Please, can you keep the names on your spreadsheet so I can see? <laughs> <laughs> now that um, I won't do, but um, that'd be worth and the a other lot thing, you can, you, yeah, exactly. You can also add different categories. So health, wealth, happiness is my standard, but then you can say yeah. if there's a particular skill, you know, if you want to get into podcasting or you want to write a book, then yeah. it's like where do these people score? Who can I kind of learn from? So. Uh, yeah, no, it's it, it's it's quite unusual. Be care, use it with caution because you can uh, you can destroy relationships. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. No, I can see that. I can see that. And you know, what are you most proud of, Steve? Because you've had so many like you know huge business achievements, and we spoke about a little bit about family, but mainly about your kind of you know sort of professional uh, achievements. What what are you most proud of when you look back? I think the. Um, balance that I've been able to create, even though I work hard. So balance, not in the sense of, you know, work, work-life balance, I think is bullshit. But yeah. Work is a part of life to see those as two. Oh, we've got our life and then we've got work. Well, they're actually part of the same thing. So for me, it's about life balance. Um, and I think the, you know, the great thing, I've got a great relationship with my kids. I had a mentor, Mark Victor Hansen in 2002, and he stood on stage. He's the guy who wrote the chicken soup for the soul books. Oh yeah. He, he stood on stage and he said, I take one week holiday every month. And I was sitting in the audience working like 90 hours a week in my business, striving. And my immediate reaction was like, you can't, you're not allowed to. That's not how it worked. How the hell have you been able to achieve that? So I set it as a goal in 2002. I achieved it for the first year in 2004. And I did it every year since up until 2020, up until COVID. And that's where I ended up getting a place in Ibiza after COVID and going there more often and that kind of thing. So so to be able to have that time away with my kids, 
quality relationship with them, still work hard, still achieve a lot of stuff, still have ups and downs. You know, the failure I had, that's not the only failure. I've made investments that haven't worked and, you know, all, all of those sorts of things. So for me, it's like I haven't sacrificed my relationship with my kids for my business. I've been able to do those two things alongside each other because, you know, the reality is most people spend more time planning their summer holidays than they do the rest of their life. Right. Yeah. And and that, again, was for a penny drop moment. I've got a life plan, you know, a goals, vision board. I've been doing this stuff for 25 odd years, you know, got to know people like Brian Tracy, a personal friend, Jay Abraham, a personal friend, Bob Proctor. I ran a mentoring charity for him for 12 months in the 2000s. And so I've grown up around these legends of the industry um, as mentors. They became friends. I now pass it on through through other people. So I think, yeah, that that kind of balance that came from self-awareness, having mentors, investing in myself, being on that continual path to, you know, talk about it, be more, do more, have more and give more. That's a, a guiding mission and principle for my life. Um, so that's what I'm most proud of, I would say. Yeah, no, amazing. And, and you know, you're, you're, what you're describing to me is a life by design, right? And it is it is a conscious choice, you know. And I did um I did a post um on social media today actually around my choice to kind of leave being a corporate CEO, you know, yeah. FTSE, you know. And I love my career. I had fa- fabulous roles and really enjoyed the teams I worked with and what I achieved. But I was at a point where I was like, okay, well, I want more freedom, choice, flexibility in my life. So I want to go down the plural route. I never knew I was going to be a, have a podcast. I never knew that you know I'd have the portfolio of businesses that I have. Now. I never knew I'd be doing some of the things that I'm doing, but I kind of had that that broad perspective and yeah. and that actually is a it is a choice and it is creating that life by design and you know I feel really passionate about you know you only have one life and none of us know how long it is hopefully we're here for a long time but we don't know we don't know that and you know if you if you have a dream to do something or create something or be something or give something back whatever it is no matter how big or small it's not all about money um don't let don't let that opportunity you know slip away create it you know how many people go to their deathbed you know regretful of regrets you know they never tried I could have would have should have but you didn't did you what a miss you know so I mean I, I get all a bit a bit kind of emotional about this stuff but I genuinely believe every single person has got greatness in them whatever yeah, that looks yeah. like but my god make it happen you know and if it doesn't work so what you'll learn something right totally <laughs> better to have tried than not at all you know so yeah I think that's great but that whole kind of creating that life for yourself that works for you that's got that that balance so so Steve I'm interested in in obviously your you you invest in a lot of businesses you advise a lot of you know business leaders and you've got a fabulous kind of network of of people that have helped you you know sort of broaden your perspective when you're looking at investment opportunities what are the kind of key things that you're looking out for because as you said you know nine out of ten startup businesses fail within the first five years so you know it's not not great odds um so how how do you try and pick the right businesses to invest in what's your approach to that yeah so it's quite systematic um and there's a number of key things that we we look at so um firstly it's got to have the potential to give a 20 times return on investment so mm-hmm. you know it's one of the reasons i've moved from property into angel investing so the most recent investment that we've exited was a 65 times return on the cash that we put in right in a, in under 3 years which is phenomenal wow doesn't happen every time but um you know if you've got a system in place the downside is obviously protected by eis by tax by there's a load of downside protections where even if a business fails you get a good chunk back through tax mm-hmm. and income tax write-offs and cgt etc um but for me it's about a market that is the timing you know it's one of the least talked about things i think we you know loads of people will give you advice on business right and what and i think there's three things that are fundamentally important that most people don't talk about. Okay. One is luck, right? One is timing about timing when you get into a market. Um, And then the other one is your partners, your, you know, your business partners, your husband, your wife, your significant other that's on that journey with you. And they're not, they don't come up, but timing is critical. So for example, we're investing in a mental health, we've invested um, several million pounds in a mental health technology platform called Jack, just ask the question.org. Um, 
And, you know, do most people think mental health is getting better or worse? It's getting a lot worse because of COVID, because of the economic, the financial cost of living crisis, and also the normalization of mental health, which is quite right. People should talk about it more. I've got ADHD. I've got this. I've got that. I'm burnt out at work. I've got stress. I'm depressed. People are talking about it more. So there's a so to invest in a company that is helping solve that at the right time. So timing is really important. Um, a founder and founding team that can execute. Right. I think one of the research has shown that one of the most important things, would you invest in a great idea and a good team or a great team and a good idea? Great team, good idea always, because a great team can take a good idea and make it great. So yeah. the founder, the founding team, I think is just incredibly important. Um, and then the unit economics of a business, right? You can actually decode, I can pretty much decode any business to say, right, you know, what's the average order value? What's the lifetime value? What's the cost of acquisition? What's your gross margin, your net margin? Quite easy within half an hour, as long as somebody knows their numbers, I can look at a business and say, yeah, it's going to work. It's going to fly. You know, we had one of those in our marketing agency, Absolute Collagen. We just knew before they knew that this was going to be a business. You know, they came to us doing a thousand pound a month in sales. We took them to a million pound a month in sales. They sold after three years on a valuation of 43 million. We knew that was potential because the unit economics were average order value was great. The, the lifetime value was just going up and up and up. And cost of acquisition was very affordable. So it was a money-making machine. Mm. So unit economics, fundamentally important. And then putting in a team of people where there are gaps. So with a mental health tech platform, you know, we brought in Kevin Carhill, who was the CEO of Comic Relief and the founder of Sport Relief. He's our social impact advisor. We brought in Mo Godat from Google X. He's on the board. He's an advisor. He's an investor. That came through the Bolt Angels Network. Um, I'm chief commercial officer for the rest of this year because actually I built sales teams, marketing teams, B2B. I can know how to commercialize a business. Um, so plugging in the gaps that we need to is really important, but ultimately timing, team, execution ability, and then you know plugging those gaps and de-risking a business and maximizing the, the commercial opportunities that are there. Mm -hmm. No, that's hugely helpful. And also, you know, whether someone's acquisitive and they're thinking, okay, yeah, this is a good lens to actually look at, you know, businesses they might want to invest in or buy, but also for a business that's maybe preparing themselves to raise finance, or if they're a larger business and they're looking for an exit, actually, it's a good a good lens on the other side of the table to apply as well, isn't it? Um, and, and do you, is it mainly UK um, centric businesses, Steve, or do you look at international stuff as well? International as well. We just we did a data analytics platform, Triple Well. That's an American company. Um, we invested into that pre-seed five million. Um, Series A valued at 171 million. Series B was 400 million. Shopify invested, and they're just on the next raise for a for a Series C. So, um, yeah. So that was US. Most of the other ones are, are UK because of EIS and the massive tax yeah. advantages that you get. But sometimes if we find something. Um, Chamberlain Coffee, actually, we've done Emma Chamberlain, one of the world's leading social media, female social media influencers. Chamberlain Coffee is absolutely flying. We got involved in that. So we tend to invest in the pre-seed stage, seed stage latest generally, not always, but that's our sweet spot. Because if you can get in at 3 million, 5 million, 7 million, but it's to 100 million or 500 or become a unicorn and go to a billion, um, then you just get massive growth. There's also an opportunity to exit in the secondary, like Series A. So if you get in at pre-seed, we can, you know, one of the businesses we're exiting, 40% of our shares at Series B, but then we've got 60% riding for whether it's an IPO or it might reach yeah. unicorn sales. So having that liquidity is another part of our strategy. It's quite different because 90, the research shows 93% of venture capitalists have never started a company. <laughs> to me, we which is baffling. These are people investing. I'm not That's saying they're not sure what they're yeah, yeah. whatever. Ninety-three percent have never started a company, whereas I've started over five hundred, right, through two franchises and the other businesses. So the level of experience you get of knowing how to fix a startup and where to plug gaps and holes and how to mentor entrepreneurs who are going through this roller coaster journey because you've lived it, 
right? And you face most of the issues they're going to face is, um, yeah, it's just really valuable advice. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great perspective. And you're right. I mean, I tend to, when I work on deals, I tend to focus, well, I do a lot of work with private equity that are buying yeah. businesses that are, are a more mature stage, I would say, rather than the kind of startup stuff. Yeah. But very often, you know, that they're, they're fantastic at investing and spotting the opportunities, but what they don't have necessarily is the deep knowledge of, of the sector experience of what does good look like you know what margins should you have in, in a in a travel business what level of conversion you know what should it be your return on on uh, you know marketing spend etc etc so yeah i i'm often the one that's kind of going well hang on a minute the, this is where there's risk in this business this is where they're underplaying the opportunity valuation should really look like this and by the way you know let's have a good talk about people because people DD is often, you know, neglected and all of that good stuff. So, yeah, I, I find all this stuff really fascinating, but it can be seen sometimes seems a bit of a black art, can't it? And and people get a bit frightened, you know. But I think if you can if you can kind of keep it simple, keep it simple, stupid. I, I think actually, you know, you can you, you don't have to get overwhelmed with it if you've got the right people by your side, as, as you you correctly said. And um, fantastic. And, and Steve, you know, in terms of what's next for you, you know, obviously, you, you know, you've got a huge amount going on with Bolt Angels. And um, do you just actually yeah. before I ask you about about what's next, how do you how do you tend to structure that? Do you raise a fund and then invest the fund in, in different businesses or do you raise finance on a deal by deal basis? How, how do you tend to, to kind of work that side of things? Yeah, it's evolved. Um, and basically, yeah, so it's gone from do, making individual investments using our own cash personally into the companies or through a through a, a company vehicle, which we do sometimes. Um, then last summer, uh, 2022, we set up a, I mean, we call it a fund. It's actually not a fund per se, but it is a structure. So we have an FCA regulated partner because this is unlike property. This is FCA regulated. So if you're taking in money and charging fees and then, um, you know, kind of rolling that out. So we've got an FCA regulated partner. They've helped us build a platform. Um, so all the KYC, know your customer checks, mm. sophisticated high worth, they can transfer money. So it's basically a nominee structure, nominee company gets set up. So in a property sense, an SPV, a special purpose vehicle. So yeah. a company gets, we raise money. Marketing is done by Bolt Angels. We then raise money for people that want to invest. That money goes through our platform into this nominee company. So the investor has shares in this company that's going to make that individual investment into a business. Um, we then, as most funds do, get a fee and we get a, a fee manage annual management fee, but then we also get a performance fee on the back end. And mm. you know, so that's how we do it. We may evolve it into now it is a proper fund where there's multiple companies we're going to acquire, we're going to make investments into multiple companies, and somebody invests into that, and but that business owns shares in is more diversified. Whereas mm. at the moment, the first four deals, we're just doing them individually. Um, yeah. We're just on our, just closing off our second one at the moment. So, yeah, uh, so yeah no, so it's great. So, and I, and I think, you know, I did that. I created a fund in property and unregulated collective investment scheme where we raised three and a half million to go on and build a 10 million portfolio. You know, what I've always liked climbing this ladder of bigger, bigger, you know, we'll talk about it at the end about, you know, um, bold brave brilliant and all that and for me it's about climbing the ladder and you know going to that next level and i always used to say in property 90 percent of the world's wealth is made or held in property mm. actually the only people really that make more money are the people running hedge funds private equity vcs whatever so that's why i've now kind of gone above and doing a lot more in the angel space so our plan is to raise tens of millions and then hundreds of millions to really make a meaningful difference in businesses that we believe have the potential to change the world and make the world a better place. It's very mm -hmm. much social impact driven. If you came to me with a deal for a widget factory, um, that was a great deal and it's making lots of profit and, you know, uh, no disrespect to widgets or people that run widget factories, but that's not, that's not our bag. We want things that are really going to change physical health, mental health, financial health, personal, professional development, help businesses be more successful uh, that's really what we're about. Yeah, and I'm getting involved actually quite a bit with B Corp um, status businesses that have been certified. Right. Um, and I think, again, that's just a really great 
platform and the customers becoming more demanding you know choosing where they spend their money and you know if you've got the right kind of esg um you know and are you is it profit for good all of those kind of i think areas are becoming much more much more on the radar and uh, so yeah it's great that you're making the impact so you kind of asked 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 the question i said around what's next so it sounds like bigger bigger better bolder bigger investments steve for you is that is that kind of how you see life evolving yeah, I mean, it's kind of I want to replicate what I did with PPP, but in a in a different way. So PPP became famous for three times more rental income. So I want to have the best returning fund, um, angel fund in the UK in terms of the returns that it d- delivers to investors. Want to make the biggest impact with the companies that we invest into. Um, and create one of the biggest communities of angel investors in the UK. You know, PPP was famous for having lots of value-add, values-aligned people. We used to do Royal Ascot, go sailing in Ibiza, ski trips, fun stuff, right? I kind of uh, I call it the ski trip test. I only want to work with people I like and trust that I would spend a week on the ski slopes and apres ski. And if I don't pass that test or somebody doesn't pass that test, then not interested. So, yeah, building a massive community of angel investors in the uk that's uh, that's the vision fantastic how can people get involved steve so people people might have some like you know money burning a hole in their pocket and they want to be thinking hey this steve guy sounds all right well get involved get involved with him and, and his and bolt angels and um, how can people yeah. kind of track you down in that context if they want to get 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 involved and start investing with you sure so loads of stuff on the website probably the best place to go boltangels.co.uk we got resources on there, information, um, events. We run an event at the moment. We're doing weekly Wednesday in Marlebone, uh, every afternoon, 3.30 to 5.30. And then a social afterwards where we go to a local pub and have a, a bite to eat. And, you know, so, uh, yeah, so we do those. We've got a monthly webinar series that we do. We do a couple of big conferences a year, a bit like kind of Dragon's Den type things. Uh, we go to the first day of Royal Ascot on the Tuesday uh, in June is a big social event. We've got kind of marquees and things like that next to the track. Um, so, yeah, just go on the website, have a look. Probably my main social channel is LinkedIn. I do a kind of a newsletter every kind of couple of weeks, but we've got a nice system of at least three posts going out a week of just little short one, two minute videos where I'm kind of sharing information. So follow me on LinkedIn. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. I'm on TikTok. But LinkedIn is probably the main the main channel. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. And actually, it's, it's people who want to invest, but also maybe someone, you know, businesses that are looking for backing and working with the right partners that can help them scale up, grow, yeah, exit, IPO, whatever it might be in terms of the, the side. So that's also the best way for them to, to kind of track you down. Sure. I actually sat on the advisory board for the Founders Factory, Steve. I don't know if you're familiar with the Founders Factory. Oh, yeah, I've heard of it. Yeah, yeah, no. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so I, yeah, it's it's a great it's a great environment. And can you, if you can create that community of like-minded individuals to, to really kind of harness the power of not only investors but also founders i think it's a really powerful thing to do so yeah well done to you that's fantastic so steve i could chat to you all day but i know you're very busy um so i'm gonna come <laughs> yeah. i'm gonna come to my last few questions if i may so listen you've sure. had you've had some fabulous uh you've had a great life great you know business experience some amazing results you've had your, your fair your fair few knocks as well um which has made you even more resilient and kind of stronger uh as well which has been fantastic but you know when you look back over all those years um yep. i'm sure you had loads of advice any standout advice best advice you've had uh that's sort of stayed with you for a, for a good while do you think yeah i think the thing that's made the biggest impact in my life and i think it does for other people is is i call it sotsog um stand on the shoulders of giants you know um i've actually got a book that i'm halfway through writing with that with that title um, and I just don't think you can be the wisdom of coaches, mentors, consultants, advisors, um, you know, just having that, that group of people that you can draw upon that have been there and done it. So for me, that, that's been an absolute game changer. And I think it is for most people. Mm, yeah, 100% agree with that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And any bad advice, Steve, over the years, or do you just tend to ignore it when it comes your way? um yeah no i do try and tend to ignore it but you don't always know what's good or bad until you put it into practice do you? <laughs> so um yeah no so so there's been um been lots of things i think the i think probably for me self-awareness so the important you you know i made the mistake over the year reading books getting advice and you kind of you try and swallow it whole without putting that overlay of who am i 
What am I trying to get? Where am I trying to get to? What am I good at? I don't know if you know the the concept of Ikigai from Japan, uh, like what you're good at, what the world needs, you know, what you enjoy doing, what adds value, all of that. And then finding that sweet spot in the middle. So I think, you know, Gary B talks about self-awareness and I just think it is probably it was not in, it was not made that clear to me how important who you are and what you're good at and bad at and you want to do and the direction you want to go in overlaying that against your job or your business or your life and and trying to just take looking at Elon Musk or Richard Branson or Gary Vaynerchuk and thinking I'm going to copy some of what they've done well good luck they're them you're uniquely you so that would be I think not having had that pointed out to me and then applying that I got better at it over the years so I think that's a something for people to watch out for yeah definitely gosh oh, that's a great one yeah be yourself everyone else is taken right <laughs> um, fantastic. you know just kind of one one other lead on from that actually steve is there any what advice would you give to your younger self then you know that's one bit that you're saying like be more self-aware and kind of find that sweet spot in anything else that you would kind of looking back say to a young steve starting out in life yeah, I think I fell into the trap that a lot of people do um, of just wanting more and more and more and more. You know, the the acquisition of more, whether it's a bigger house, a faster car, a bigger boat, all of those sorts of things. And it was interesting, actually, I was listening to the guy, I can't remember his name, the guy who did the chimp paradox. Uh, he was on the podcast with um, Stephen Bartlett. It was really good. Mm. And it was quite interesting because he was basically saying, look, genetically and evolutionary wise, how our brain is wired, how our chemicals work. It's completely normal for guys in their 20s to want to, you know, go out, party, drive fast cars, have lots of girlfriends. All the, you know, there's certain things that we're biologically disposed to. But as you get older, you kind of change. And I found that with you know, Jay Abraham, Brian Trey, all of these guys that were in their 60s, 70s, 80s, they all said the same thing. Jay Abraham used to say, yeah, I used to do a seminar, 3 million quid, Friday, Saturday, fast cars. You know, I won't go into the details. Some of the other stuff. <laughs> he said it in confidence, but it's a, just a very common thing that people kind of almost go through a bit of a hedonistic aspiration. Mm. You know, you see it with Andrew Tate, right? It's like, I, I guarantee you, unless he gets locked up in prison or murdered or whatever, when he's 40 or 50 or 60, there will be a nuancing of his messaging, as there is with Gary V, right? Gary mm. V, hustle, hustle, work hard. People were having burnout. Now it's all about, you know, some of the happiest people I know are earning 40, 50 grand a year. That's it. They've got a lovely life. They spend the weekends with their kids. They take the holidays. So, yeah, so, so I think a definite mistake that I've made and my younger self would be don't go after all of the trappings you know do what is the right thing for you don't put unnecessarily pressure on yourself just to get more and more material possessions because ultimately they don't give you that much fulfillment when you're driving a car what do you actually see you're seeing the road ahead and the steering wheel <laughs> yeah. you made to be, do you really care is you're doing it because what other people are your perception of what other people are going to think of you you know and it just all comes with a burden and a pressure that most people don't need yeah no very good very good advice indeed so so you know the podcast is called brave bold brilliant steve and it is obviously you know you've clearly demonstrated all of those qualities otherwise you wouldn't be here and i do appreciate yeah. that but when you hear that brave bold brilliant what does it mean to you um be the best you that you can be yeah because I think so. So just make make it per what is, for each individual person. You know, there's, a, there's an old. I asked my dad once. I said, Dad, what's the best bit of advice you've ever been given? And he said, um, Treat people like you would like to be treated. Uh, and I thought about that a lot because a lot of people say that. And actually, for me, the equivalent is actually treat people how they want to be treated. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's really important to actually understand because what I might want might be different for what you. So for brave, bold, brilliant for me is actually about the biggest, you know, the biggest and best investment fund in the UK and angel investing and raising hundreds of millions and making a massive change and helping make people famous. And, you know, having people like Mo Godat in my friendship and you know, I've got him on speed dial on WhatsApp. We were messaging till one in the morning last night. 
Um, but I want to get around Elon Musk and people like that, right? I want to go to the very top in terms of my network and in terms of my achievements, look back on my life with no regrets. So that's fine, but I wouldn't put that on my kids or I wouldn't put that on other people, you know? So it's like, be the best you that you want to be and that you can be. And don't beat yourself up if you're not Elon Musk or you're not Steve Bolson or you're not Jeanette or, you know, just play your game and be happy with what you've achieved and the path that you're on. Yeah. Oh, well, fantastic words of wisdom indeed from Mr. Steve Bolton. Thank you so much. Honestly, we could have, we'll have to do a follow-up. We're going to have to follow up when you've gone for complete world domination. And uh, yeah, it's great to hear everything you've done, Steve. But honestly, thank you so much. I've really enjoyed chatting. You too, Jeanette. Thanks for having me. I really hope you've enjoyed Brave, Bold, Brilliant. Don't forget to subscribe and share with all your friends. And if you've enjoyed listening, I'd love it if you'd leave me a five-star review.